Thank you, Spencer. <clears throat> and the worship team will be with us in just a little while to lead us into a time of communion together. It's good to be with you again, I will say that, and uh, just great to worship with you. As we go into the second week of our series called Reclaiming Christmas, it's uh, sort of a this or that. Last week, we looked at stress or stillness. Next week, we're looking at problems or peace. The week after that, decorations or devotion. This weekend, we're looking at getting or giving. What's that about? I was thinking about the getting part. Of course, Christmas time, getting gifts, love getting gifts. Maybe you can think back through your Christmases, a favorite gift you were hoping for under the tree, that toy, that tool, that game, that outfit, whatever it might have been. Maybe it's this year. Uh, one of my favorite holiday movies is A Christmas Story featuring Ralphie. Do you know that, this movie? And all he wants is this Red Ryder BB gun. He says it so fast in the movie, you never know. He's saying, I want an official Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. Maybe that's what you want. Just be careful. You'll shoot your eye out. If you watch the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Now, getting is one thing. Getting can be so fun. Giving takes us to another emotional level, I think. For, for I think, the reason of investment, in the sense that we invest our time thinking about a meaningful gift for that person. We invest our effort going from shop to shop or website to website. Of course, we invest our money, so investment has something to do with it. Jesus one time said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is, where you invest your, your time, your effort, your money, your emotions are going to follow. Your heart's going to follow. There's something special about giving, different than getting. I think we could say this, that while getting can be fun, giving can be fulfilling. That's what we're going to address today. I want to read part of a Christmas story to you. You may be familiar with it. The, the, the key figures in this story you'll find in many nativity scenes. Uh, there are several sets of characters in this story, and I want you to listen for each of them as we then talk about how they approach Jesus and how we can better understand the nature of giving. And this is how the story goes from Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, he was, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel, and then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. <clears throat> when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. You've heard that story before. That's God's word. And did you hear the several sets of characters in this story? First, there was Herod, King Herod. What do we know about him? Let me say this. If you are in our home and you wanted somebody to boo and hiss, you mentioned Michigan football. That's just the way it is in our home. Maybe you like that team up north. If you lived back in the day of Jesus and you wanted a group of Jewish people to boo and hiss, you mentioned Herod. They booed because Herod referred to himself as king of the Jews, but he was neither a king nor a Jew. (laughs) People called him Herod the Great only because he built great big things in homage to himself. He was absolutely consumed with his own legacy. And they booed Herod because he was cruel and mean. Now, of course, when we look down through history, we see all sorts of mean and cruel emperors and tyrants and leaders who occupied thrones. And the trigger word for Herod was worship. The wise men had come to worship this newborn king. Huh. Well, there's nobody who's going to get worship except for me. And nobody's going to sit on my throne except for me. And nobody's going to rule in my place. Nobody. Somebody once said, Herod has many grandchildren. What does that mean? Spiritually speaking, Jesus came to sit on the throne of each of our lives. He came to rule in our lives and have complete say over our personal lives. That means our relationships. That means our profession. That means our possessions. It means our ambitions. All of that. But there are many people today, like Herod, who say no. No way. No way anyone is ruling my life except for me. And they push Jesus away, just like Herod did. Now that brings us to a second set of characters, religious leaders. Um, These were the uh, leading priests and the teachers of religious law. These were the guys who Herod called upon to better understand this new threat that was now in town. The religious leaders were the big cheese in the Jewish community. They were steeped in religious law. They were steeped in theology. And they knew much of the scriptures backward and forward, much of it by heart. And they taught the Jewish community to always be on the lookout for the Messiah, the one who would come and rescue them. Which makes me now wonder and scratch my head, Why did they not show more interest in this startling news of the possibility of a newborn king born just over in Bethlehem? Bethlehem and Jerusalem were only six to seven miles apart. That's like from here to the east side of Huron. Why would they not just go there and be back in the the same day and see if it's true? But rather they just kind of yawned at the news, just kind of ignored the news. Apathetic. Why why would that be? And there are different avenues of explanation we could go down, but I think this is a, a, a true, right one. They were so religious. Maybe you've maybe you had a background growing up in church and super religious and going through all of the hoops and all of the rituals and going through all of the emotions where you just kind of became 
bored with the whole thing. And I think these religious leaders, because of all of their religiosity, they were deadened to the real thing, to the coming of the Messiah, to Jesus himself. And that's the way many people are today, just like the religious leader. They kind of just yawn at Jesus. So you have Herod, who pushes Jesus away. You have the religious leaders who just sort of yawn at Jesus. And then we come to the wise men, or to the magi. Now, their story is found only in Matthew chapter 2. Nowhere else in the New Testament. They appear in verse 1. They disappear in verse 12. That's all we know. And we really don't know much more about them than what we just read. We think that they came from Persia, a land east of Bethlehem. The wise men, the magi in their day, they were the instructors, the professors in their society. They're the ones who taught in the realms of religion and philosophy and medicine. And some people think the wise men, the magi, are the ones Daniel taught and trained when he was in captivity in Babylon. If you go to the book of Daniel, chapter 5, verse 11, you'll see that could be who they're talking about. And Daniel would have taught them the scriptures and to always be on the lookout for the one who is coming, the Messiah, the newborn king. And of course, here comes a star. Now, we don't really know much about this sign, this star in the sky at all. A lot of people have different ideas about it. Nobody really knows for sure. But it is clear that these magi, these wise men, saw this star as a sign, as a, as a revelation from God. And they let it lead them to the house where Jesus was. And we read in the story just now that they entered into the house and they bowed down before Jesus and they gave him gifts worthy of a king. The word worthy comes from the old English word worth. <laughs> they gave gifts that were worthy. They worshipped. The, wor the word worship comes from the word, old English word worship. That's what I meant to say. And so when they worshipped Jesus, they gave gifts worthy of a king. Gold, frankincense, incense, and myrrh, which is like a medicinal property, substance. They gave gifts worthy of of a king. So we've got Herod and others today who push Jesus away. We have the religious leaders and others today who just yawn at Jesus. And then we have the wise men and others today who give gifts because of Jesus, which camp do you fall into? Now, I think giving, the idea of giving, is a very interesting human phenomena, human behavior, because if you go around the world, universally it's true, no matter where, where you are, no matter what era of history you're in, whether a person is religious or irreligious, people have found giving to be a satisfying, fulfilling thing to do. And I want to answer the question, why? Why would that be true? Let's start very generally. If we look through the Bible, we can see a lot of different words that, that describe the character of God, grace and love and so on. But the most popular word defining the character of God is give. And it's related words, gave, given, gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son as an example. 
God is a giving God. And so, um, I, I've shared this from the platform before, somebody once said that when you give at no other time are you being more like God because you're representing His very character. And whether you are a Christian or an atheist, an agnostic, religious, irreligious, regardless of who you are in this world, people are created in the image of God. And so we are hardwired to appreciate this thing called giving. That's why we have this sense of fulfillment. But let me go a little bit deeper. I want to ask you a question. Why do you think it is Christianity, far and above beyond any other religion in the world, is looked at as the benevolent, charitable religion? Why do you think the local church, and this church included, is often looked at to for charity and for, for, for good works? Why do you think, is it true in your own life as a Christ follower, you have a growing interest in being generous, in being given? Why would that be true? I think for a couple of reasons. One is that just like the Magi received a, ma a revelation from God, you and I have received a revelation from God, and it is the person of Jesus Christ who came to tear down the barrier between us and God, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life with God. That's, that's Jesus, a gift to us. God has given us Jesus, and in response to that gift from God, we want to give. I think of us, a few weeks ago, we just finished going through the, the letter of 1 John. And in that letter, it says, we love because God first loved us. Well, it's true that we give because God first gave to us through Jesus. But let me give you another reason, a little deeper reason. If you were a Christian, when you gave your life to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, something amazing happened. God put his spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. And a chief job of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is to shape us more and more into the image of Christ himself, which means over time, progressively, as you grow in your Christian life, you are more and more going to be interested in being giving and being generous because that resembles God's character. God is doing a new work in each of our lives. Now, that's the, that's the why. Why we should give. And why it's so fulfilling. But let me answer the question, how? How do we give? The, the wise men brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. Here's the question, how do we give to Jesus? It makes me think of what Jesus said deeper into the gospel of Matthew in chapter 25. When Jesus is talking about people who are downtrodden, in prison, in need, need of help. He says, when you give to these, when you help these, when you do anything good to the least of these, it's like you're doing it for me. And then I think back to the book of Proverbs, the consummate book on wisdom on how to go at life in chapter 19. It says that whenever we give to the needy or those who need help, it's like we are lending to God. <laughs> Those 
couple of examples are consistent with the rest of Scripture. All that we have is owned by God. And so when we give it to people in need, it's like we're giving it back to God, to whom it belongs anyway. Now, what I would really like to do is to start over here. Don't worry, we're not going to do this. And everybody stand up and just tell a story. Tell one story of how you have been able to help somebody. And I would say, when you help somebody in some way, big way or small way, it's like you were giving to Jesus. Well, we're not going to do that. That would take too long. But I know each of us would have a story that way. Rather, what I would like to do is have a collective celebration that we as a church can recognize what we've been able to do as a body of believers together. How each of us together we have given, and this is what we've done as a church, giving gifts to Jesus through helping others. Um, This week, probably earlier next week, you're going to receive in the mail an annual report. We don't have them at the Welcome Center this weekend. Next weekend we will, just in case you don't get one in the, way, in, in the mail. But in the annual report, you're going to see pictures. You're going to read amazing stories. You're going to see some numbers that will blow your mind. And all of this during this crazy, crazy, crazy year of 2020. What I want to do is show you some pictures on the screen that represent some of the things that are in the report, other things that are not in the report. We can't even exhaust what we've been able to do as a church together. But I hope this can feel like a collective celebration of giving gifts to Jesus. Do you remember back in April (laughs) what it was like, how crazy it was? Nobody knew what was coming. And, And there was so much worry and loss of jobs and genuine food insecurity. We had few people step in and say, here, here's some food. Let's, let's give it away. So uh, at all three campuses, a number of different times, we were able to give away more than 1,700 meals to people and then pray with them as they came through. And some of the prayers we heard were just, uh, we, we prayed with them. We, the tears and the, and the stories that we told were so genuine. And then we developed this thing called a, a COVID crisis fund to which many people have been able to give. I think it was close to $90,000. Much of that has been used already to give to people, to give to partner agencies and ministries, to give to uh, food closets and so on. Uh, In some circles, we were able to send out a note to people. I think I did this with the men's fraternity. We need food for food closets. We need food for people coming in who need help. And boy, did the food and the, and the supplies arrived. It was just really, really something. You know, it wasn't just in our area, of course, that the pandemic struck. Around the world, we have partners um, in places like Burundi and India. It was so good to be able to send them some funds to help out. You know, one of my favorite quotes uh, is, just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we can't do something. These are the somethings that we could do. We were able to help our little isolated village of Buganyuzi in Burundi, impacted by COVID. Our little adopted village of Sarai in India, out in the middle of nowhere, impacted by COVID. We're connected with a ministry called HBI in Chennai, India. They're out in the streets giving food to people, doing something remarkable. 
some of our people were able to go out to some of the, our partner ministries and just serve. This is just one picture, but we had many other people serving in different ways, helping out in different ways. Do you remember before April, before March, there was actually a time when the pandemic was not in the paper as much? <laughs> we were able to do some pretty cool things like the widow's luncheon on Valentine's Day. I just read this the other day, and it appears a couple times, several times in Scripture, that God is like a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. And all we want to do is to, is to align ourselves with God's heart and care for the widows. It was really neat to be able to do this with the three different campuses on, on Valentine's Day. Right around that time, we had a team go to Cuba with one of our partner ministries called Filter of Hope, where we provided clean water. And not just clean water, but we were able to share with them Jesus, our living water. That was pretty cool. This is a building that maybe you've seen pictures of it in process. It's taken several years to finally bring it to completion because of the corruption in Burundi. I could tell you stories, oh my goodness. But that building right there sits on top of a hill on the backside of the, of the distant building, down the slope. Is, the, is, is where the Batwa live. You've heard us talk about them. They're the ones that we've been trying to help this village. The chapel, you, we, together, we gave to Jesus by giving this building to them. The distant building are three classrooms where the kids are going to be able to have their, their education augmented through private tutoring. On the left-hand side is a big open space meeting room for teaching and training where they'll also rent it out to people in the community so there's some type of financial stream uh, some type of income. Pretty amazing. This is a picture of what happened just over the last few weeks. Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. We had no idea how this would turn out because of COVID. But between our three campuses, we were able to send more than a thousand boxes out to kids around the world. This is, this is ongoing right now. I hope we're going to repost the video this week of Joy to the World. This is our Christmas catalog in video form. To date, almost $10,000 has been given to the various ministries we're connected with. I hope you'll have a chance to be a part of this. It goes through uh, up to uh, Christmas time. This is something we did just a few weeks ago. We handed out gift cards. Did you get some of those? Little $20 gift cards to these different stores but just to hand out to people who may be in need or maybe somebody that you don't know that well, you want to get to know them better, or maybe just, a, maybe just a stranger like somebody did to our son a few years ago at a gas pump. Here, here's some gas for you because of God's love. Pretty cool. Hopefully, hopefully you're, and if you, have a, if you have a story and you've done this, just send it to stories at thechapel.family. We'd love to know what this has done in someone's life or what it's done in your life. And the last video I just want to show you, not the last one, but the next to the last, this is Dan and Sarah Stelzer joining the number of missionaries the chapel supports financially around the world. They are going to a place in Central Asia where Jesus is not known. And we're so glad to be a part of their lives. And the very last video, this is a montage, a collage picture of, of some of the things that happen around this building. When we give to Jesus, we're able to make our excellent, excellent kids ministry go. We're able to make our excellent, excellent youth ministry go. We're able to keep the lights on, the place heated, have sound, have music, meet here in this room, allow our staff to do their work. Thank you for that. That's giving to Jesus. And so when I share these stories with you, and we could keep going, 
It makes me think of a couple things. We're being like the wise men, bringing gifts to Jesus. And it also makes me realize or remember what Scripture says, that our reward is stored up for us in heaven when we give our time and our talent and our treasures. But not just in eternity. It's right now. Whenever we give, there's a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that comes. Why? That's God doing a work in our hearts. Now, there's, there's one other gift we can give, and actually, it's the most profound gift. It's the gift of your life. It's the gift of my life to Jesus, which leads us to a time of communion together. When you came in, you received one of these little cups, and if you didn't receive the bread and the cup, just raise your hand, and, and we'll make sure that we... Um, get you one, because you're going to have communion in just a moment. When we hold the bread and the cup, we're reminded that Jesus himself is our sacrificial substitute. That is, he took our place so that we would have to not have to pay the penalty for our sins. He took that onto himself. And we, you and me, just by our childlike faith, can now benefit in the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. How about that? When we hold the bread and the cup in just a moment, we're reminded that God has given to you and me. But we're also reminded when we hold the bread and the cup that we are to give our lives to God once again, that we are committing our lives to Jesus once again. That's our ultimate, most profound gift. So if you want to just peel back the very top layer and that will take you to the bread and to the wafer. This is the time for believers, those who have put their trust in Jesus, looking back to his death, but also looking forward to the day when he comes again and makes all things right. Between this day and that day, we are to take this bread and hold it and hear the words of Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this, is my, this bread represents my body given for you. Whenever you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. And then you'll want to peel back the next layer that will take you to the juice. Be careful with that a little bit. And then Jesus took the cup and he said this this cup represents my blood shed for you. It represents the covenant of God, God's promise, his vow to you. The barrier is now broken down between us and God through the gift of Christ. This cup represents his blood. Whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Let's drink it together.
And now, God, we thank you for giving to us, Jesus. We give you our lives now. All the things you've given us, our time, our talent, our treasures, they belong to you. Help us to give back to you by giving to others. Thank you for the great news of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.